Good afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Macklin. Greg, before I forget, before we do anything, I need to just take care of a quick housekeeping note because I will forget within the next 90 seconds, I'm sure. It's my mom's birthday today, so I would like to wish my mother, Linda, a happy birthday. The most twisted of the twisted sisters. Baseball team in uh, Transcona Slow Pitch League, Ladies League. They've been the twisted sisters since the mid-1980s. So, uh, great name. That is fantastic. <laughs> Happy birthday. It, does she like Mrs. McGarry or is it just Linda? Go with Linda, yeah. Yeah. My wife hates Mrs. Mackling. And don't don't call me that. I'm I'm Jackie. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. So happy birthday, Linda. Hope uh, and wish you many, many more. So we have all sorts of things that we want to discuss, but I I think well we, we're gonna talk about beer, for example, at two thirty. Winnipeg Beer Festival. I love how the tone of your voice changes whenever that topic comes up. Well, I try. I, I don't want to get too excited. Yes. I don't want to get get ahead of myself here. Reel it in. Oh. An I exciting did. event celebrating all the new beer that's being produced in our city. Uh, because, you know, the, let's face it, the big manufacturers pulled out of Winnipeg 30 years ago. We haven't been making beer here on a national or, or large scale for a long time. Now these microbreweries have come along. It started with Fort Gary Brewing probably about 15 years ago. And now we have a real beer culture that's growing in our community, and we're going to celebrate that a little bit. Fort Gary, they did uh, uh, a Belgian sort of series a couple of years ago. There was Fort Gary and Half Pints both did a Belgian-style uh, sort of selection of beers, and they were both very good. Um, I think Half Pints are some of the guys coming in today, aren't they? I believe you're right. So that'll be fun. Yes. Um, but right now, we we want to talk about something that kind of confused the both of us. Do we need help from our listeners here, basically? I think we do, yeah. We're asking for help because, you know, this, it just... It, <laughs> We often talk about outrage on this show. We just had a conversation recently about are things too politically correct? You know, with, with this license plate issue about the gentleman who is going to co- wants to go to court over the fact that MPI revoked his license plate that says uh, assimilate in reference to the Borg. Well, here's a situation. There's a story on our newswire. I'll just read you the quick summary, and then Greg can get into a little bit more detail. Of course... Justin Trudeau, our Prime Minister, was recently in Rolling Stone, featured on the cover, the Northern Star, they called him. The story reads today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau admits the way he characterized Senator Patrick Brazo in a recent interview with Rolling Stone magazine does not contribute to the positive spirit of reconciliation. Trudeau referred to his opponent in a 2012 charity boxing match as, quote, the scrappy tough guy senator from an indigenous community. End quote. In a radio interview in Vancouver this morning, Trudeau says he regretted the comments and that he recognizes there are a lot of patterns to change as he continues to work with Indigenous leaders and communities. So that's just sort of the blurb, the three-sentence summary of the events. So the First Nation leaders, this I'm quoting now from a Globe and Mail Article from yesterday, First Nations leaders say the Prime Minister's remarks about Brazo fly in the face of his government's commitment to a renewed relationship with Indigenous people. Here's a quote from Pal, uh, Pam Palmatier, 
an associated professor and chair in Indigenous governance at Ryerson University in Toronto. I was actually shocked to read that coming from someone who's been speaking about reconciliation and repairing relationships. To read this as super arrogant, super racist comment was really disgusting. Assembly of First Nations Regional Chair Roger Augustine, who represents New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island, said Mr. Trudeau's comments about Mr. Brazeau could undermine his government's message. Here's his quote. To describe him like that is demeaning. It's not a professional way for anyone to talk. Cindy Blackstock, a First Nations children's advocate and social worker, professor at McGill University said Mr. Trudeau's comments play into a narrative about colonization where, quote, indigenous peoples are the savages. I'm just having a hard time wrapping my brain around this. And non-indigenous people are the civilized. It's unfortunate. Professor Blackstock goes on to say he's using Indigenous peoples to try and emphasize the good qualities about himself. They really, that really reinforces a lot of negative stereotypes about Indigenous peoples. Sorry, I'm just distracted by a text message from 204-780-6868. My mother owned a bakery all my childhood. I'm offended when I hear gluten-free. I need to call a lawyer. Someone owes me an apology. Well, this is it, right? And I'm not trying to be insensitive about this. I'm trying to see the other side of it. I think that when Justin Trudeau is talking about Senator Brazo as a foil, well, he himself, regardless of his heritage, is a joke. Yeah, I thought you were going to say regardless of his hair. Well, that too. (laughs) He puts the hair in heritage. I mean, he he put his hair on the line, right, in the boxing match for charity, raise money for cancer, Mm -hmm. right? He said, hey, I went and cut my ponytail. Okay, fine. But to characterize this as about all Indigenous people, and that's the way the Prime Minister was speaking, he's apologizing for it now. So I guess... Maybe he's admitting that he was doing some of that, but the language, to me, says more about how he was speaking about Brazo as an individual and the fact that his heritage happens to be, he happens to be an indigenous Canadian, to me is secondary. That's where I'm confused. I, I... Yeah, like you, as you pointed, uh, we had a discussion about this in our newsroom. And uh, because Greg and I were kind of flummoxed as to what the big deal was. So we asked somebody who said, ah, it's the word foil. I think that is the problem Mm -hmm. because it portrays the idea, the image that the indigenous community is a foil, that it's some sort of a caricature and that it it could call back. I mean, now I'm just making the the comparison, but I think of like a a blackface kind of caricature. You know what I mean? I think that's maybe where people are are sort of drawing the line. I kind of saw it as, because you made the point that, he is speaking to an American audience, so he's adding some context here. So maybe to us, it's it would be irrelevant that where what community he's from, but he's telling this to an American audience. And Prime Minister Trudeau's message has been about reconciliation. And I, I, th- I mean, maybe the way that he worded it was maybe not the awkward. Best, but I thought he was trying to say, hey, not only did I find a, a tough, scrappy guy. 
But he also happened to be indigenous. And let's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is to be more involved with the indigenous community. So uh, that's how I saw it. We're kind of curious to know, though, are we just completely out to lunch? Like, did we miss this boat? Insert cliche here. Because I think uh, often at times when it comes to things like this, you and I might see eye to eye, but we might also miss some of the subtleties. I might be a little bit more on one side of it than you might be. But I think we're in agreement on this one. We had a couple people in the newsroom who tried to, quote unquote, set us straight, but... Those people are typically very reasonable in my mind, and I'm still not getting it. 204-780-6868. Was, what, what do you think about the prime minister and what he said? Like, we're not, I don't want to, I'm not here to vilify him as some sort of a racist, but the comments clearly have upset people. When you have professors say things like, to read this super arrogant, super racist comment was really disgusting. That is a quote, once again, from an associate prof and chair in Indigenous Governance at Ryerson University in Toronto. Then clearly this is something that maybe has sailed right over our heads. You know, like I went to school, I, I grew up, went to school with kids who were Indigenous and it was, they were just classmates like they were there was never any sort of oh you're different than me no you're just what well, they were just my classmates but i even just in the past year i've i'm learning things there's an enlightenment that's happened in my life where i'm seeing a perspective that i had no idea existed and whether that's an ignorance or just uh, uh on a personal level or a societal level i don't know but i think that as a society we're trying to take the steps to Erase that ignorance, and maybe that's what's happening right now. Maybe, Greg, and you and I are just, this is a, a, we're being ignorant and just don't know it. I don't know. There was never any question or wonderment, really, about how I fit into Canadian society until grade three. I can remember the day that we kind of all identified ourselves as belonging to one cultural group or another. And growing up where I did, there were many different cultural groups from Italian to Portuguese, Filipino, First Nations, you name it. Uh, they attended our school. And, and of course, you know, the teachers went around, kind of made a list of the diversity and the ethnic groups that were represented in our classroom. And I was kind of the last guy with his hand up in the air. I was usually the guy with first with his hand up in the air, but also in this case, I was the last guy because nothing that had been said to that point resonated with me. And so finally my teacher said, Greg, your hand's still up. Certainly we've covered the country of origin, your ethnic background. I said, no, I'm Canadian. And that's how I felt. I always felt that until that very day. I never recognized or even thought about the fact that uh, we were anything but, that I was anything but. So I've been aware for a long time, and I've been sensitive. I think I've been appreciative. This one, I'm, I'm clearly missing something. If people who are most obviously way smarter than us <laughs> are questioning this, we're missing something. Can somebody tune us in? 204-780-6868. Yeah, we want to know what you think of this and, and why are we wrong to not think that this is, or to think that this isn't a big deal. 
204-780-6868 is the number to call. We would love to hear your voice if you have some feedback on this. You can also send us a text. We're getting a number of text messages at that same number, 204-780-6868. You can also email gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com, but we would love to hear your voice, 204-780-6868. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau describes to Rolling Stone magazine Senator Patrick Brazo as... Uh, scrappy, tough guy from an indigenous community who made a good, made for a good foil in this charity boxing match, and some are saying that that is an arrogant, racist comment and disgusting. 204-780-6868. Your forecast coming up next. Justin Trudeau is apologizing for his choice of words in describing Indigenous Senator Patrick, Patrick Brazo in his conversation with Rolling Stone magazine. He says his comments did not contribute to the positive spirit of reconciliation. He used the terminology, amongst others, the scrappy tough guy senator from an Indigenous community also uh, shrouded and bracketed those comments with ones about using the word foil. This was a conversation surrounding the charity boxing event that featured Breslow and Trudeau about five years ago. He said, I wanted someone who would be a good foil, and we stumbled upon the scrappy tough guy senator from an indigenous community. He fit the bill, and it was a very nice counterpoint. I saw it as the right kind of narrative, the right story to tell. We have Justin on the line at 204-780-6868 because we're trying to figure out, like Greg and I were looking at each other trying to figure out what's the big deal here. This is racist. This is what we classify as racism in Canada. Uh, Justin, what do you think? Hi. Well, thanks a lot for taking my call, guys. Um, I personally think that um, it would be better for all of Canadian psychology and especially in young kids to teach that, um, yes, we are all different. Like, I don't necessarily agree with the idea of teaching kids that we're the same, but that no culture is better. Justin, sorry, just, sorry to interrupt you, Justin. I need you to speak into the phone. You sort of moved your phone away from the oh, mic, and I can that. barely hear you. Yeah, that's better. Thanks. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay. Um, I just think it would be better that we teach kids that, um, rather than the idea that we're all the same, that we're all different but have different cultures, no culture is better or worse than another. And then that way, you're not trying to fool kids into believe that um, Europeans are the same as Aboriginals or Aboriginals are the same as people from Africa or Filipinos. And um, then that way, kids are kind of looking at people as, yes, we're all different and have different cultures, but nobody's better or worse. And when you're teaching the idea that we're all the same and that we expect the same things and we should all be sort of under the same umbrella, I don't necessarily think that's going to make a lot of sense to people because it's evident that we're different and have different cultures. Well, and I think uh, for the most part, we celebrate that difference. We talk about our differences and and talk about why it's unique and should be celebrated that I'm from this country or that country. We're coming up to Folkorama where we've done that. When I was citing my own personal experience, it was because at that point, up to that point, I'd never consider myself anything but Canadian. I was being asked to put myself into some other group. And that's really to this day where I feel I fit in, but that hasn't reduced in any way my ability to be uh, conscientious and to be fascinated by other cultures and in fact to help celebrate them. So I I think I'm agreeing with you there, Justin, that we have to acknowledge our differences, but also to suggest that uh, we should celebrate what makes us different uh, can be a good thing. 
Yeah, we're no better, no worse. All cultures are different. That's the most important thing. But we, there's definitely no ranking for any culture. That's that's my perception of it. Yeah, and what we should have in common is is the flag, right? Is is Canada, and and that's our exactly. commonality, our rallying point. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. Appreciate it, Justin. Thank you very much. Let's turn now to Mary at 204-780-6868. Hey, Mary, what do you think of all this? Well, I am confused as to the narrative that the Indigenous community would like uh, to be presented in the media or to have figureheads such as, you know, public officials speak. Um, I, I Personally, for me, there are some people who are scrappy. Patrick Brousseau seems to fit the bill. I don't know why that would be unallowable. It, it just, it kind of confuses me, to be honest. And I would add, Mary, that uh, Patrick Brazo, in a message to the Aboriginal People's Television Network last week about this article, he wrote, quote, I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, I, yeah that wouldn't surprise me. You know, he seems the type who would be complimented by that. I, I just wish the Indigenous community would make it clear what narrative do they want. And in in um, supplying a narrative, I think there has to be an admission that in any population group, ethnic, racial, socioeconomic, there's a broad range of people. We have a planet of 7 billion in the country. We have 30 million people. We have hundreds of thousands of, of Indigenous people. So there's there's variation. There has to be. Well, just because I call Brett a scrappy individual, uh, f- semicolon from Transcona, Am I suggesting that every individual from Transcona is a scrappy individual or an intelligent radio host from Transcona? I'm not suggesting either things are an umbrella statement for all people from Transcona. And, and I agree. I agree with you, and it'd probably be fair to say he's a scrappy, intelligent radio host. <laughs> I, I don't see the problem personally. Scrappy, maybe. Not sure about the second part. But Thank hey, you, Mary. Thanks, Mary. We appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'll, I, Scrappy works for me, and I bet you most people from Transcona would be... I, I think Scrappy is kind of a, an endearing term, especially the way he's describing it in the context of a boxing match. But you could also look at it, not that I would, but you could look at it, right? Transcona has a certain sort of persona oh, like, versus the rest of Winnipeg, and there might be someone in Transcona goes gets their back up and, and says, oh, what are you trying to say? We're all fighters in Transcona? Yeah, no, I'm no. not saying that at all. Yeah. I'm saying that as an individual who also happens to be from Transcona, uh, you fit this bill. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying hard to see the other side of this, but the more we discuss it, I think the further I am away from being outraged or even bothered by it. Ian has just gotten onto the line. We'll have to, Ian, if you can stick around, we'll get to you, but I I got to go read the news. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, just want to g- give you a notice about this. I'm seeing a tweet here from Winnipeg police who say, due to a motor vehicle collision, expect delays on Archibald between Prosper and Marion. Prosper Street, by the way, one block south of Marion. So pretty much right at Marion and Archibald, you can expect some delays if you are heading that direction. And that's the there's always a good bet you'll expect some delays at Mar- at Marion and Archibald. Yeah, so. and that's right for if you need a landmark uh, further south, that's around the co-op that Tim Horton's there, that section of Archibald south as you 
so aptly described, Brett, of Marion, uh, one of the worst parts of our city for traffic, any time of the day or night, it seems. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, foolish me, I went that way yesterday. Marion was actually okay, but it was Lajamo Deer. That was awful. The construction the in the curb lane from basically Marion to, or Dougald up to, no, it's, yeah, it's Marion all the way up the bridge. Took me like 20 minutes to get from Marion to Regent. Don't go that way. Yeah, you know, I don't miss having to go that way when I don't have to go that way. I'm forced to go that way right now to take the kids out to university for their camps uh, this summer. They're done on Friday. I'll be just happy not to have to go south of Nairn Avenue or Regent Avenue at all mm-hmm. for the rest of the summer. Hey, um, just one other thing in traffic. I know we are scheduled to have Louis Escobar yeah. join us. Is it tomorrow or is it Thursday? Thursday. Thursday afternoon. So send us your questions about infrastructure. We want to don't want to get it bogged down with the rules of the road as much as some of the questions about maybe some of the engineering and some of the permissions. And this started about a month ago when we had Louis on about a simple question about some signage and about what you were allowed to do at a red light with certain signs. Uh, Today, I chose to take Waverly northbound after I left the university because I needed to hit the Tim Hortons for some tea and I thought that would be the best way to go. They've got a sign just south of McGilvery right now that tells you when the trains are coming. One of those big digital signs. Yeah, I noticed that the other day. It's kind of cool. People are suggesting that it's really accurate and that it's working out and it's allowing them to make a decision at McGilvery. Do I continue north on Waverly or maybe I take McGilvery to Pembina Highway or McGilvery to Keniston? I'm allowed to take a choice because there's underpasses on those two main routes. And it got me wondering if this technology exists now. Maybe we didn't need this underplace in the underpass in the first place. We can start giving people choices. You know, either you can wait here if it's more direct line, or take this way or that way, and you can use the underpass. But I digress. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Yeah, uh, traffic curiosities in Winnipeg. You can send to Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Ian has been waiting patiently. Ian, let's just quickly reset the table. We're talking about this situation where the Prime Minister is having to apologize for a comment that he made to Rolling Stone about Senator Patrick Brazo. He described him regarding a charity boxing match they had in 2012. I wanted someone who would be a good foil, and we stumbled upon the scrappy, tough guy senator from an Indigenous community. He fit the bill, and it was a very nice counterpoint. I I saw it as the right kind of narrative, the right story to tell. Many are saying this is our, an arrogant, racist comment. Greg and I disagree with that, but we're just wondering if our disagreement comes simply because we just don't get it. Ian has been waiting so patiently, and we thank you, Ian. What is your comment about all this? Well, I, I think the challenge we have, and especially throwing this out to the public, though I, I haven't heard many of the comments, is uh, you're asking a bunch of white people. I, I would suspect your your leader readership, your listenership is by far majority white people. Whether or not natives should think this is racist, uh, we don't. Like, why do we get a vote on that? Look, we can think that they might overreact, but if they're telling you there's a problem with something, maybe we should listen and not tell them. Well, no, no, you. It's okay. You shouldn't be offended by that. And let's remember, Scrappy is not a compliment. Scrappy is, at best, a backhanded compliment. Uh, I watch a lot of wrestling. You don't call the top guys Scrappy. You call the bottom guys who are just there to have them fighting for themselves. They're Scrappy. That's, that's not a compliment. 
If I, look, if I look up the word scrappy, there are two definitions. One of them is consisting of disorganized, untidy, or incomplete parts. Uh, so like a scrappy pile of notes. Or determined or argumentative or pugnacious. So, but determined. That's how I see scrappy. As someone who's, uh, who's determined and isn't afraid to get down and dirty into the trenches and get it done. Higher definition. You managed to find one word that was complimentary, and that's how we we should completely take it. I think that's the way most people take it. That's the way Brazo took it. He took it as a compliment. Yeah, he, his his words. I take it as a compliment. So took it as a compliment because he's in such trouble right now that he'll take any good stuff he can get. Taking it as a compliment is the word you say when somebody's giving you this backhand thing, and you say, you know what? I'm going to ignore the bad stuff there. I'll take that as a compliment. Well, Ian, I, I appreciate your take on this, and we have invited uh, you know people to to have their take on this. And on balance, uh, we do our best to get points of view from everyone in the community. We we reach out on a regular basis to the Indigenous community. This came across our desk about six minutes before we came on the air, and we wanted to talk about it. So unfortunately, we don't have anybody from that community to represent. We want to know your take on it. We appreciate yours. All right. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. And just uh, like as, <coughs> sorry, pardon me, as just looking up the definition of, of scrappy. I mean, it's consistently, uh, here's one. Uh, if you go to Urban Dictionary, I realize that's not official, but seemingly small and unthreatening, but shockingly able to kick your butt and anyone else's. Well, if you look at uh, the statistics physically between Trudeau and Brazo, which were analyzed before their 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 boxing match, I mean, Trudeau towers over Brazo. The reach differential was dramatic yeah. in that fight. Uh, I don't think Theron Fleury would have a hard time uh, being called scrappy. Yeah, I you don't know. know. Uh, some of the best National Hockey League players uh, have been described that way. Ken Linsman, Bobby Clark, uh, guys that were smaller than average, but were great players that, uh, you know, pardon the pun, fought way above their weight. Yeah. You know, and to bring the boxing and to bring the narrative full, full circle. Hey, Dean's suggesting that we are sounding like apologists for Trudeau. Imagine if Harper would have said something like this. Personally, I think all of this political correctness is nonsense. It's the double standards that rub a lot of us the wrong way. As I mentioned, that's from Dean. And Dean has also said that Ian is out to lunch. And uh, oh, my God, laugh out loud. Ian is so wrong. I uh, well, first of all, if it, if Harper had said it, then the there would be far more uproar for sure. I think that Harper was was the target of of, of a lot of hatred simply because he was conservative, um, regardless of what you thought of his policies. I mean, he you know he 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 didn't he tried very briefly to present himself as the nice guy in the blue sweater ad campaign and realized no, you know what, that's not me. But yeah, he would have been. He, there would be people screaming in the streets if if Harper had said it. And I just want to very quickly go back to the scrappy thing. I've watched a lot of wrestling too, and to me, if you describe somebody as scrappy, I really I've never heard anybody use it in a negative connotation. To me, that's a guy you don't want to go up against. Yeah, right. He's scrappy. He's, He's a gonna, guy who's going to find every way possible to beat you. Kevin is at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hey, Kevin, what do you think? Always a pleasure to hear your voices, gentlemen. Um, you want to know something? Take it with a grain of salt. You know, Trudeau could have said a lot more worse things about Brazil and what he's done. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I know something scrappy, moosh, moosh, let it go. Hey, it's, it's a word. He's talking. He's about to get into a fight and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, um, he's entitled to say what he's had to say, and he didn't do anything wrong or say anything wrong with that at all. All right, Kevin, thank you for the feedback at 204-780-6868. Yeah, Ian did very, he just, I wanted to touch on the point that he made. He said, you know, you're a couple of white guys asking mostly white people if, if indigenous people fair. should be offended. Well, that's, I think that actually is essentially what we're doing. Like, our, our, we because we've, we've made no bones about the fact that we don't get it, and maybe you can help us get it. Please help us set us straight. We're open to being set straight on this. Uh, Jack says, whoever is taking offense to those comments has way too much time in their hands. I consider myself sensitive and knowledgeable on our First Nations people, but there is way too much fake rage going on and the ultra-sensitive sensitivity pardon me, to comments like this. All the people who freak out over comments like this should put all that effort into making change, not fake rage. Wow. Let's just all stop defining every word at nausea. Oh, and I should also point out on the subject of Scrappy, mm. our guests at 2.30 from Half Pints have a beer called Lil Scrapper. And anybody who is into really hoppy beers will tell you Lil Scrapper is one of their favorites. <laughs> Patrick is up next at 204-780-6868. Hey, Patrick, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm really curious when it became our um, ability to become offended at a, a, a comment that wasn't directed at any one particular aside from Mr. Brazo. I, I, if I'm sitting at the forks enjoying a coffee and someone walks by me having a conversation on the phone that, that I don't like, I don't wait five years to, you know, find them at the forks again and get mad at them for that conversation. Yep. No, Hey, that's fair. So you're, you're you're thinking that this is a comment that was aimed at one individual and not at a population, and can't well, we just can't we just accept it as that? That's kind of the way I see it. I mean, he wasn't calling any, you know, he wasn't calling the indigenous persons scrappy. He, I, I don't think it. Maybe I heard the comment wrong, but he was he was speaking about and to Mr. Brazo through a reporter. Correct. Yep. So then it's up to Mr. Brazo, and if he decided, you know what, that was offensive, then it's at that point that uh, anyone associated with Mr. Brazo in any way, shape, or form, whether it be through their uh, society, through their culture, um, they can stand up with him. But if he doesn't decide to stand up and, and fight against or take offense to the remark, then why is it our right or duty to do it? All right, Patrick, thank you for the feedback at 204-780-6868. We appreciate it, where Kevin is also waiting. Uh, Kevin, once again, just to recap, the comment that has uh, some people up in arms is Justin Trudeau speaking to Rolling Stone about Patrick Brazo regarding a 2012 charity boxing match. And he says, I wanted someone who would be a good foil, and we stumbled upon the scrappy, tough guy senator from an indigenous community. So, uh Greg and I don't really think that that's a big deal, but maybe we are wrong. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I'm, I'd have to agree with you guys. I'm Métis myself, and I'm not a Trudeau fan by any means, but I think somebody's digging real hard to to find something racist in the in these comments, and it just uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense that 
when he's talking, to, he's probably promoting the match and everything, and it's a personal issue with him. And even Brazo said himself, like the other guys earlier said, that he's probably just saying that because of all the trouble he's in. I, I don't agree with that. But I, I find it real hard to dig and find anything egregiously um, racist in there, or, or even partially at any at any means. He said a statement. If he said that statement today, I still wouldn't find a a, a big issue with it. So if there's an indigenous uh, problem with this, I think they should look to other avenues of getting things they want done, or um, maybe that's uh, this is a, a point they're raising just because of some of the other issues they're having. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, I mean, I I don't see it offensive at all, and it's just uh, a comment, and he's apologizing for it for, I guess, reasons that he's trying to make everybody happy, but it doesn't still make a lot of sense to me. I just don't see it. All right, Kevin, thank you for the feedback at 204-780-6868 to see a couple more people on the phones. We'll see if we can't fit you in here, but we do need to pause and have a look at your forecast. That is coming up next so I think this whole idea that we're negotiating, conversing, and talking about the word scrappy highlights the point <laughs> that one single word can change the narrative for so many people. And so you throw indigenous into the mix, anything that references someone's culture, and uh, you've got potential to boil oil and boil over the pot. We have Joe. At, we actually have two Joes on the line, so we're going to start with Joe, and then Joe W. is up next. Hey, Joe, what do you think of all this? Well, I like to say thank you for having me on. And this scrappy word, it has nothing to... It, it, is, Joe, it doesn't you? mean nothing, it, uh, but I, I just want to comment on that. I'm Aboriginal myself. I'm First Nation. I'm Aboriginal. I'm just sick of tired of Aboriginal people always trying to find a way that they feel like they're being attacked by either racism or anything else. Like I, I find it really embarrassing that they didn't come up with this. And I don't know why they always got to keep, or we got to keep finding ways to attack other people. Cause we're feeling attacked. Like scrappy is not a, it's not a bad word. It's a, I find it a funny word and uh, it's more of a compliment than anything. So I'm just, I feel embarrassed sometimes to call myself for Aboriginal first, First Nation person just because of all the history that's going on with the Aboriginal people always trying to find uh, ways to uh, take away from other people. Another another word in the quote, Joe, sorry to interrupt you there. Another word that's got some people uh, up in arms is the word foil. I wanted someone who would be a good foil. And, And in my opinion, the fact that Brazot happens to be Indigenous by birth, uh, does that make him a foil inherently, or is it the fact that Brousseau himself was made a good foil, comma, or semicolon, he happens to be from an indigenous community? How do you take that, Joe? I, I don't think because he's from an indigenous community. He could be from any community. He could be from any race. It, he brought that word upon himself, or whoever brought that word upon him. Uh, it's not because he's Aboriginal. All right, Joe. Hey, thank you for reaching out. We appreciate the feedback very much, and thanks for listening. Bye bye. All right, take care, of Joe. And now we go to Joe W. Hey, Joe W. What do you think of this? Okay, I think uh, your your points are dead on. You two, like whatever you say, scrappy isn't a isn't a, a bad word. It's uh, just a, a tough guy word. That's all it is. 
Well, especially in the context of a boxing match, I thought exactly, it was a, a exactly. rather. I mean, you can, you gotta use your your common sense with uh, where that word sticks to. Not everything a guy says is actually uh, like uh, actually racist. Oh, you gotta be like nowadays they're they're so uh, like with everything they 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 pounce on it. Oh, it's racist. It's racist. It isn't racist. It's just hey, it's a normal conversation that he had a fight and he. He just, uh, the, the guy is a big, uh, tough, scrappy but guy. I mean, that's, that's how it is. All if right. you look at him, he's way over, like, uh, the way it was, he's way taller and bigger than Trudeau was. Yeah. Mm. And it, smaller, it's, much uh, smaller. Bigger. Joe, yeah, uh, he's yeah way Brazil, smaller. way smaller. Yeah. Exactly, way smaller. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. They're just grasping for straws nowadays. All right. Joe W., thank you for that. We appreciate uh, the feedback at 204-780-6868. And if you're just tuning in once again, we're just talking about how the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is apologizing because Indigenous advocates say his comments in Rolling Stone are threatening the relationship with Aboriginal people. He described this 2012 charity boxing match against Patrick Brazo. Uh, as someone who, quote, someone who would be a good foil. And we, we stumbled upon this scrappy, tough guy senator from an indigenous community. He fit the bill, and it was a very nice counterpoint. So uh, some people are saying that it is a racist, arrogant comment. And Greg and I were kind of scratching our heads wondering, I think we were missing the message on, on that for sure. So thanks for your feedback. Yeah, it's been terrific to interact with you. Whether we agree with you or not, we appreciate your words wholeheartedly. We don't get all of our text messages onto the air uh, simply because some of them are not suitable for air, uh, but we appreciate your comments nonetheless. After Global News at 2 o'clock, we are going to speak with our friends from the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. It's uh, time for our monthly visit. We visit with them the first Tuesday of every month, and we're going to talk about the importance of public events what they're, what they do for the association, and there actually is one such event coming up on August 20th called the Fundraiser for Mental Health Programming for Older Adults. So we'll talk about that after Global News at 2 o'clock, which is up next. Greg Mackling and uh, Brett McGarry with you on this Tuesday afternoon, straight through until 4 o'clock. And then it's Julie Buckingham, all said Richard, Julie Buckingham and Hal Anderson in for Richard Cluche this week. So you'll want to stick around for that. Not that you wouldn't normally, but Hal certainly puts his own twist on every program that he hosts. Kind of great to hear him uh, tying in with uh, Julie Buckingham on the news four till seven right here on 680 CJOB. First Tuesday of every month, we like to visit with the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. We're doing that today. And in studio, we have with us uh, Charlotte Sitnik, who is Director of Development with the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And we're going to talk today about public events and why they are important and how they contribute to what the association does. And we have a couple of people that Charlotte brought with her, uh, Farrell Bernier, I, I can't even read my own writing. Okay, I, I wrote it down hastily as I was running in to read the news. And Rich Hanford, they are here for the first ever Winnipeg Tattoo Convention, which is happening August 18, 19, and 20. And they have partnered with the Mood Disorders. So, everyone, thank you for joining us today thank on 680 CGOB. Thank you for having us. Brett calls me the king of segues, but I'm not sure I can do the segue between tattoos and mental wellness. Maybe you can do that for us, Charlotte. 
Actually, I'm going to pass that one to Rich. <laughs> yeah, Rich <laughs> he has the most amazing explanation for this, and then I'll take and I'll talk after. Well, I, I don't know. You know, tattoos are uh, powerful, iconic images. I think that speak to all of us, and they're a reflection of our experiences and our heritage. And I think uh, for people suffering with mood disorders they are looking for a way to express themselves and to be understood. And I think tattoos are just another vehicle for doing that, for self-expression. I think that's a great way to point it out. But now, in this overly sensitive world, we don't want to suggest that just because you have a tattoo doesn't mean you have a mood disorder. And I'm saying that with a smile on my face because you know that's exactly how somebody heard that. In the last 25 seconds, right? So Absolutely. That's not what you're saying at not all, Not at Rich. all. So, I think tattoos are diverse, and the people that wear them are a diverse group of people. Is that growing as a we speak? I mean, Absolutely. I, I was mentioning that my grandma, who's over 80, uh, has a tattoo and gets a new one every single time uh, a great-grandchild is born. So uh, this is not just for uh, hipsters and uh, people in their 20s and 30s. This really uh, spans uh, an entire age spectrum, our, our entire society society there are people with ink absolutely soccer moms to dental hygienists doctors to massage therapists this is widespread and it's you know as stigmas are reduced uh things become comfortable and it's much the same with mood disorders as we reduce stigma it encourages dialogue and it increases acceptance much the same with tattoos. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting, there, there's the, there's the segue. Yeah. <laughs> there it is right there. I'm not sure it was there in the first place, but that one, you nailed it, Rich. And, you know, I can think back to a time, and maybe you can too, Brett, where in an employee handbook, if you worked in the service industry, let alone an earring or hair of a certain length being prohibited, yeah. a tattoo, one that was visible, that would not happen in any way, shape, or form. I used to train uh, folks in the restaurant business, and that was right there in most of the handbooks, employee handbooks that we had, three different organizations. Earrings were typically a no-no for guys, certain length of hair for guys, and tattoos for anyone that was visible. That was part of the deal. Yeah. Fell, you're nodding. You, you yeah, know what no, that's about. I'm just thinking back to uh, my first job as a server and just breaking out into the industry. I had just a little bit of my back tattoo showing, and they actually had me go get cover up, tattoo cover up, which is actually kind of hard to find in Winnipeg. There's only one place that sells it, and most often they're not very stocked. And what yeah. is tattoo cover up? It's like um, they use it mainly in movies just to. It covers up tattoos really well. It's a waterproof kind of makeup that you can put over it that completely conceals your entire tattoo. And if you set it with a powder, it's you're good for an entire day. But they wanted me to wear this during a shift, and you know, personally, I didn't think it was worth it. So did did you did you? Quit? I I went and got another job. I uh, I, I felt that was a, a little too too much. Uh, to put on someone, you know, I, I should be able to express myself in a certain way that allows me to feel like I'm me when I'm working. So I and you know, what, it's a tattoo of a car. So, you know, it was actually a, a very good conversation piece. So what kind of car now? I'm curious. <laughs> it's a 70 Super B. It's a, it's my dad's up. car. It's a was nice. Was it like a Datsun B210? Like, what was that? A Super B? What a is Super that? B is actually uh, it's. A cornet. Oh wow, this is a yeah, nice car. It's a gorgeous car. My dad used to be. My dad used to race, so 
uh, I got his race car on my on my shoulder and I didn't think it was worth covering up. So. Yeah, this is, a, this is a really burly looking automobile. <laughs> so well done. And that's a highly personalized. Yeah. Tattoo. And you know what? I, yeah, I didn't feel it was their place to tell me that I needed to cover it up. And especially when it was only maybe like an inch sticking out of my shirt. Yeah, I think that's a little uh, going a little too far. Well, we've been talking about workplaces and what makes a comfortable workplace, what makes a good workplace. And I think a lot of us would agree that any workplace that allows you to express who you are, you know, certainly within reason is a place that we like to work that we can be comfortable in. And, and Charlotte, when it comes to mental wellness, let's face it, a lot of employers have realized that they can't stay silent about it anymore. They've got to be open to giving leave open to helping their employees get the help that they need in order for everyone to be effective and productive. It's a worthwhile investment to make sure that people are well, not only physically, but in their mind. Absolutely. We do a lot of um, work with businesses and helping um, employers and employees transition back into work if they've been gone on a medical leave. We do a lot of advocacy work at at Mood Disorders and uh, it's a great, great opportunity for us to uh, to help because an employee wants to come back to work. In most cases, they do, and an employer wants them back as well. And and that's one of the services that we offer at Mood Disorders. Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to. You're talking about a workplace safety. You know, we were driving over here talking about. You know, wouldn't it be nice uh, living in a non-judgmental world where you know people can express themselves and talk openly about mental health and and I know that's one of the things I'm most excited about with this tattoo convention is that um, we're anticipating upwards of 15,000 people in attendance and that's a lot of people who are going to learn about uh, mood disorders and what we offer and uh, and learn a little bit about themselves and about mental health and uh we're doing peer support there, um, so if people have any questions about what we we do, or you know, if they're looking for help, um, it's free. Uh, we we offer it in our our office on Four Fort Street, but we're also will be doing it at the tattoo convention. And uh, so I'm hoping that people will consider coming down and and uh, seeing what this is all about. Um, and uh, there's how many artists, Rich, are coming? We have I'm, 278 artists yeah. coming from all over the world. So. We have a great turnout of the best men and women working in the field today. This is happening, by the way, at Exhibition Place at Red River Exhibition Park. Once again, August 18, 19, and 20th. And you can go to winnipegtattooconvention.com for more information. Our guests are Charlotte Sitnick, Director of Development for Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. We have Rich Hanford. You just heard his voice. And Farrell Bernier there with the Winnipeg Tattoo Convention. And aside from the convention itself, Rich, where are where do you work? I'm, I'm going to a, go on a, off on a limb here and assume it's in a tattoo shop. Absolutely. I, I own and operate Capella Tattoo in St. Fatel. Uh, actually, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to touch on our charitable component for Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Uh, what we're doing with this event is we've rallied the International Tattoo Convention to donate their time. We've created an initiative called Marked for Life, which is a tattoo booth at the show. We'll, we'll be tattooing Manitobans by donation. Uh, we're accepting minimum $100 donations. All the tattoo artists are donating their time. And 100% of the funds that we raise are going to the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And those funds are going to go to peer support 
and they're going to go to mental health initiatives here at home to help Manitobans. So we hope that the people of Manitoba will embrace this, that they'll come out, they'll get a small tattoo for their brother, their sister, their mother, and they'll support both the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba and the Winnipeg Tattoo Convention. Both Brett and I are looking at a text message we received at 780-6868. We are also able to get pictures on that text line, and we are both looking at a tattoo that one of our listeners has sent in, and it simply says, I call this one breaking free from PTSD. So in terms of expression, in terms of marking milestones in one's life, victories in one's life, uh, this individual uh, has taken uh, to art, body art, to uh, express this. And I want to thank our listener for sending that in. It's a beautiful tattoo and the expression and the what's tied to it is absolutely gorgeous. So uh, congratulations on sharing that with us and and for taking that stand to to break free. I don't know if you can do that, Charlotte. Yeah, that's but, an excellent example. You yeah. know, I think it is. Charlotte, this is Well, you know something. what? I, I'm looking at it, and it is, it's beautiful. And, and it reminded me of uh, a story that I'm going to share with. Uh, there's quite a few girls out who are, who are cutters, and I know I've talked to Farrell and Rich about this, and, and uh, it becomes part of who they are. And uh, a lot of them are getting a tattoo to incorporate the scars on their wrists, and uh, so they'll always remember... Um, but they're also celebrating that uh, they're still on this planet. And uh, it's, a, it, it's a ongoing, um, when, you, when you have a mental illness, it is an ongoing struggle. Not a struggle, but it's a part of your life and who you are. And, it, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, in my, I'm admiring that tattoo and thinking of several stories. And I know you, both of you, Rich and, and Farrell, probably can share that as well. I was just thinking of that and, you know, the PTSD. And when we went to the office today, there's a trauma support group going on and uh, we get a lot of people coming in with PTSD and trauma. And we're always looking for more peer support workers. Uh, So listener who's got that tattoo, if you ever want to volunteer, we're looking for more people to come and help. And the key with the success of peer support, it's lived experience. And, you know, you've, you've walked that road and you'd be a great asset uh, in other people's recovery, but it also helps with your recovery as well. And we're always looking for that hope story. We're going to continue our conversation after your forecast. We have in studio with us Charlotte Sidnick. That was her voice. She is Director of Development with Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba and Farrell Bernier, Rich Hanford from Winnipeg's First ever tattoo convention, which kicks off on August 18, 19, and twentieth. Uh, by the way, Rich, uh, we you mentioned your uh, shop, Kapala Tattoo. Their website, kapalatattoo.com. Did I am I saying that right, Kapala? Absolutely. Okay. Where are you from, Farrell? What's I think? Did I see? I, I'm actually um, a student of Red River College. Uh, I've been in the business program doing human resources, and um, I'm off for the summer. I wanted something to do, something to get involved with the community. And I found Rich. Uh, I offered anything that I can do, and now I'm the event planner. So, oh. yeah, so definitely uh, moved up on that one, and uh, looking forward to going back in the fall. Okay. I want to, you know, uh, Julie Buckingham, so good at the hooks. I want to hook something. We have a text message here, and uh, I'll ask the question now. Rich, maybe you can answer it when we come back. Isn't the number one growing industry, uh, this is a bold statement, in the United States right now, tattoo removal? We'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do a quick Google search of tattoo removal will be big business, 
Yeah, there's lots of lots of people who are suggesting that as people get older and they get their regrets and uh, the percentage of people, the best uh, the best statistics I saw here had to do with, uh, I think it's Australia, 25% of Australians having a tattoo at one point in time. And then a certain percentage of those uh, wanting to get rid of them. And obviously, it costs more money to remove it than it does to get it rich. Fair play. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I think people will often spend more time price shopping a pair of shoes or getting multiple quotes for some plumbing than they will doing research as to the quality of work they're getting for a tattoo. And I think if you do a small amount of research and actually look at the quality of work around, you can quickly surmise uh, who the tattoo artist is for you. Rich Hanford is our one of our guests from Capella Tattoo in St. Patel. He is joined by Charlotte Sitnik, who is Director of Development with Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, and Farrell Bernier, who is also with Winnipeg Tattoo Convention, the first ever tattoo convention happening August 18, 1920, and the tattoo convention has partnered with the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And Charlotte, I understand you are needing in need of volunteers for this. I am. We This is a big event that we're doing, and uh, there's... As I said earlier, 15,000 in attendance. So um, I'm, we're always looking for more volunteers at Moods. But if anybody is wanting to get involved and help, um, we're having a 50-50 raffle. And uh, we're looking for people to come out and help sell and uh, see a first ever tattoo convention, which uh, I know is going to be a, an ongoing uh, event every year that uh, we're hoping to partner with again. And uh it's it's going to be very exciting. If you check out the website, the artists that are coming in, it's phenomenal. I mean, their their talents are incredible. And uh, I know a lot of uh, my colleagues as well as our volunteers are, are quite excited. And uh, I think the listeners, too, once they start seeing what this is, you know, give us a call at Moods if, you're, if you want to come out and help. And for anybody who's listening, you know, we helped 95,000 Manitobans last year um, with... Uh, you know, either coming in to our office and for Fort Street, but we also have um, outreach managers in all corners of the province. Um, we're there for you if you if you're struggling or if you have a loved one. Um, something I'm very proud of we have is our family nav uh, family navigation program, which is helping families navigate the mental health system. And uh, we do a lot in the schools. We do a lot with teenagers, with young people. We're seeing kids as young as six coming into our office and. Uh, if you're honest with yourselves, you know somebody who's out, who's struggling, and uh, we're we're here. So uh, you know, please give us a call or check us out on our website. What's the phone number, Charlotte? Uh, if someone two, wants to reach out, two zero four seven eight six zero nine eight seven, and uh, it's Mood Disorders Manitoba CA on the web. We talked about the 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 self expression using tattoos for self expression. Uh, I. Uh, actually, I wanted to ask you do, are you, do you do gargoyle tattoos? Because I've been wanting to get another one. Absolutely. We do all styles of tattoo. I have a gargoyle on my left shoulder because they, uh, they're they often seen as these big, scary, evil monsters. But they're actually, you know, they're, wherever is a gargoyle, typically they're there to protect against evil spirits and other things. So I've always kind of felt... Uh, like, I'm kind of like a gargoyle, because I look mean and scary, and people always say, why don't you smile more? But, uh, yeah, I'm actually, uh, you know, a nice guy who will who will have your back. So I got a gargoyle when I was, I don't know, 21, 22. So I need, but I've been wanting to get put one on my right shoulder. So maybe I found the guy to do it. I had no idea you had a tattoo, Brett McGarry. How about that? <laughs> Farrell, uh, 
lots of people have the perception that this is kind of a subculture. I think we're way past that now. You know what? Um, I think Manitoba, because we have uh, a lot of strict laws involving, you know, health, um, it's an industry that hasn't been able to grow into the convention thing just yet, but I definitely wouldn't call it a subculture. Um, it's something that's grown for years and we're just getting to that point where now we can have our own tattoo convention and people are really excited for it. So, you know, I, I'm really excited to see who comes out and how many people uh, really come and support the convention and see if we can hit that 15,000 mark or even more. Well, I've got to give a few website plugs here. So the tattoo convention is winnipegtattooconvention.com. Again, it's August 18, 19, and 20th at Exhibition Place, Red River Exhibition Park. Kapala Tattoo, that's spelled K-A-P-A-L-A, tattoo.com. That's Rich Haddonfront's place. And, uh, of course, the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. So it's mooddisordersmanitoba.ca. Charlotte Sitnik came from the Mood Disorders Today, Director of Development with MDAM. Charlotte, Farrell Bernier, and Rich Hanford, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a Thanks pleasure. For us. Thank you. We're going to switch gears from tattoos to Beer Fest up next. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you till four o'clock. Then it's Julie and Hal for till seven. Want to let you know that the uh, Blue Bomber podcast, Doug Brown, yours truly, is up at cgb.com, iTunes. You can download it now. It's the third edition, and we've got Blue Bomber tickets. We're, we'll do anything to get you to listen. So uh, check it out if you don't mind. I want to thank uh, Charlotte, Rich, and Farrell for joining us in our last segment, talking about mood disorders of Association of Manitoba, the critical work they do, and the event that's coming up, uh, the tattoo convention here in Winnipeg. And there's a tie-in. The tattoo convention is welcoming the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And you'll be able to uh, you know, have a conversation with the folks there from Mood Disorders. And I know every time we have a discussion with Mood Disorders, we like to put out the suicide prevention support line that's toll free 877-435-7170 there's also a website there if you'd like to click on it if you need support don't hesitate to reach out these folks are here for you 204 oh pardon me 877-435-7170 and the website pardon me is reason to live.ca brett mcgarry greg mackling and uh, one of our uh, favorite topics uh, tends to surround the increasing number of local breweries. And it's not really, honestly, I know it sounds self-serving when we say this, but it's not necessarily just about the beer. It's a fact that this is a growing part of our economy. But it is about the beer. That does help. Before <laughs> I take a swig of this, um, can some, uh, let's introduce our guest here. We have Chris Young, who is from Half Pints, and Sean Branston. Branson, pardon me, from Gibraltar. And Fort Gibraltar. Miss typing on my Paul. Okay. Sorry I set you up for that, Brett. No. Nope, Fort yep. Gibraltar, of course, the incredible uh, venue for the Winnipeg Beer Festival coming up. What kind of uh, beer is this, Chris? Uh, I brought uh, one of my favorites, the Little Scrapper India Pale Ale from Half Pines Brewing Company. So is, uh, this, a, is this a hoppy beer? This is a hoppy beer, yeah. Um, we love our hops over there at Half Pints. Uh, yeah, so this one is... Uh, a little bit on the bitter side, but lots of delicious uh, floral and citrus hops. It was bottled probably, th- I would say, 22 minutes ago. Mm. Put it in my backpack on the way here, so it's about as fresh as a beer gets. Yeah. 
That is fresh. That is, you don't, there's no, because sometimes you crack a beer and you get that sort of skunky. Although, can, does craft beer ever get that skunkiness that sometimes happens, may afflict a beer that's been sitting in the fridge for a while? Um, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, skunkiness is, uh, is a byproduct of, of light. Um, so most of the skunky beers that you will try are going to be in a green or a clear bottle uh, that let in more UV rays than, than brown bottles will, and uh, skunkiness can, can develop quicker uh, in those bottles. Uh, brown bottles aren't immune to that, but it could slowly happen over time. So if you left this beer in your backyard uh, uh, for a week, you could maybe get, uh, it would be quite hot at this time of day, but yeah, you could maybe develop a bit of that skunky flavor over well, maybe maybe a few weeks' well, time. It wouldn't just be hot. I think it'd be gross if you just left it sitting in the sun. <laughs> wouldn't just it be cooking? <laughs> yeah. uh, August 19th for the first annual, the first annual Winnipeg Beer Festival is coming to Fort Gibraltar and uh, Sean, tell us a little bit for those that are not familiar with Fort Gibraltar, where it is and uh, paint us a radio picture as our colleague Richard Cloutier would say. Okay, the radio picture. Basically, uh, Fort Gibraltar is exactly where they host Festival de Voyager every year. So in St. Boniface, along the banks of the Red River, in Whittier Park. Um, we're fort- my wife and I are fortunate to be the caterers there all year long during Festival, as well as uh, we do multiple weddings and events. One of the events we started uh, in 2014 was Poutine Cup. Very uh, well received and an amazing party. We wanted to do something unique, and uh, so we came up with the Winnipeg Beer Festival at Fort Gibraltar, uh, focusing on local food and fo- local craft brews. You know, we talk about that word local all the time on this program, and uh, Sean, you've been around for a little while in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Has local ever been more popular than it is right now? It hasn't been, and and like it is a very popular thing for sure. Local, I mean, certainly as a byproduct of just local food, tastes better. It's better to support the local economy. A lot of our food uh, comes from all over the world. Uh, with issues in California, a lot of the stuffs being shipped from South America. We made the decision to support local uh, 12 years ago, uh, many, many years ago. And it's and it's great because you can support a local uh, tomato guy or egg guy and you can promise that you'll make do a certain amount of volume, make that alliance, and then you get stuff that's uh, fresh and, and unique. And, and when prices go up and down with oil prices and shipping, they stay pretty consistent and you create, create those relationships. So it's really important for us. Does that translate to your world as well, Chris? The, some of the things that Sean was just talking about in terms of suppliers, in terms of dependability, freshness, and relationships, uh, not only amongst the individuals that you need to get your supplies from, but the mm-hmm. restaurants and the other venues that you need to supply yourself. Right. Um, well, for us, um, I guess local supplies for ourselves is is something that's kind of slowly creeping in for us. Uh, we've got now uh, this year we're going to have our third hop producer in the province. <clears throat> Pardon me, um, producing hops for us. Hops being sort of the the floral, bitter, and and spice to beers. Um, so we've got uh, some some supplies from in province for that. Uh, the numbers are are so small that we would basically use up all of the hops that are grown in Manitoba in one batch of little scrapper. Um, so there's a lot of hops in that beer, and the producers are are quite small at this point. So for that, um, you know, we're a long ways away from being able to use a lot of local hops, but it's getting there. Um, and the more we use, uh, the more we buy from them and the more they can put their money back into producing more. So we're certainly working with that. 
Um, as far as grain goes, the other uh, main supply, um, Manitoba grows a lot of grain, uh, and we use a lot of Manitoba grain. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta as well. Um, but there are some small micro maltsters that are that are popping up across this country now, um, sort of in response to a micro or small local breweries um, wanting different flavors and wanting that connection with their farmers as well. Um, so we've got. Uh, some conversations started with different people who are looking to to get into this business. Um, so that's kind of slowly creeping into our supply chain. But the relationship on the other side with us and local uh, bars and restaurants is huge. Without those relationships, we wouldn't be around. I wouldn't have a job there anymore. Um, without people yeah, supporting us and selling our beer, talking about why it's uh, fresh beer is better and, um, and all those sorts of things. Um, is, is the only reason why we're still around. Yeah. My, well, I remember I was sitting at the Grove, sitting oh, at the bar at the Grove, Grove. and I, I can't remember, it does, it does, we'll just say local brewery A guy, the guy who at, said he worked at a brew, uh, one brewery, was wearing merchandise from another brewery. <laughs> and someone said to him, you work here, but you're wearing their stuff? And he said, hey, as long as we all support each other and you're drinking our beer and not the big guys, that's, we all win. What would you say to that? Uh, yeah, I'd buy that guy a beer um, <laughs> for sure. Um, but definitely, I mean, the uh, the the fact that there are many more breweries popping up in the city. We were sort of alone with Fort Gary for a while and uh, had Farmery come in. And then and now there's been a bit of an explosion. Um, a lot of people ask, uh, are you scared? Are you do you are you, these guys your enemies? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, certainly not the case. Uh, we support each other um, across the board. Really, the the amount that we raise the profile together of local craft beer, um, and like he he or she at the bar said, um, every every beer that you're buying from us that you're not buying from some of the larger breweries is a win for everybody across the board. So, um, yeah, I I'm. Personally, I'm particularly really excited about a lot of other breweries coming in town because I can now drink other people's beers that's super high quality and made in town. I don't have to drink a little scrapper all the time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so boy. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. that's quite nice. Um, Sean, you wanted to jump in on that. Yeah, that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to create the Winnipeg Beer Festival is to support local and and to and and we were offered large sums of money to uh, for the larger beer companies to come in and and be part of this, but we've kept it just local small craft breweries. We were trying to make it so we could, it's a it's a vehicle to promote their beers. There'll be twenty different beers made locally just in the area, as well as Capital K um, uh, distillers will be there as well with some samples, and we we. We wanted to just do it to support local, uh, and uh, so we have a number of we have half pints, Brazen Hall, Peg Beer Co, Little Brown Jug, Barnhammer, One Great City, and Torque, to name a few that are they going to be there? And if this event, we want it to be just support the craft brewers in in our province, and uh, there's great opportunity and great growth. I should also point out, I, I have stated this on the air before, that me and Hops don't get along, but I am really actually enjoying this. I have had this beer before and, and didn't like it, not because it's a bad beer, because me and Hops have historically not gotten along, but I think in 
with the various beer people that have come through the studio, I'm sort of <laughs> developing a taste for it, and I'm really enjoying this. So I, I won't say your palate's maturing. It's just getting used to different things and maybe open to different tastes, because I, I know as a wine drinker, that was key to me, was trying new things and, and things that I would never otherwise taste, tasting them and being open to them and uh, kind of almost forcing them down the gullet, right? Because uh, the palate will open up to them and it's, it's funny how it will change. Uh, this whole idea of local and the idea that uh, you're supporting this, Sean, I think is outstanding. The idea of economy, this drives tourism as well. I think there's a big part of this that uh, we are missing if we're not talking about how Winnipeg can market itself to other parts of North America with a thriving craft beer industry because there are people that travel all across North America just to try the beer. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done different beer tastings for these travel groups. So they'll come up to Winnipeg. They'll have a day uh, to spend in, in the city before they go up to Churchill to go see the polar bears. And we do have a craft or a beer tasting that I developed about four years ago with different beers, some from Germany and things like that. But the exciting thing to me is that there's so many great beers now locally that I would be, I have more options other than just Farmery or Half Pints, which is a phenomenal um, uh, producer. But now I can actually find all these different styles and which is part of the reason why I'm so excited for the Winnipeg Beer Fest because I haven't even, as a restaurateur and owning three places, I still haven't tasted 20 local beers. So it's going to be a great time to do that. And I can see it in Sean's face. I wish it was television right now because he's genuine on that. You mm-hmm. can see, and if you haven't heard it in his voice, you can see it on the look on his face. Uh, and I'm going to direct this question to Chris Young from Half Pints from uh, William, a listener named William who texted us and says, hey, I like local breweries, but what's wrong with drinking me some Coors Light? Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll start that off with, you know, I don't really ever say no to a beer when it's, uh, handed to me. So <laughs> I've had a Coors Light before and even since <laughs> I've had a Coors Light, even since being now a, a brewmaster at a local craft brewery, I've probably had a Coors Light since then. Um, I suppose what I find wrong with that is just, uh, the flavor of it or the, I suppose the lack of flavor. Um, and then going above that is, uh, if you really want to get deeply into it, um, if, uh, you know, we all earn our money, uh, hard by working for it and to, um, give that money away to a large corporation or a large conglomerate of breweries and your money is in the end going to you don't even really know who and probably just to people who are really smart at marketing uh, as opposed to giving it uh, you know to myself and the owner of Half Pints and, uh, and Zach and Jan and all the rest of the guys and Haley and people uh, that work at Half Pints uh, you know we'd uh, we'd appreciate a few of your cents more than, uh, than whoever does the master marketing at Coors Light. And, and Chris, I know your tongue is in your firm, firmly planted in your cheek when, when you say that. However, you are earning our money, right? You know, you're not just throwing up a shingle and saying, buy Manitoba beer because it's Manitoban. We're making good beer. Consider buying it, consume it because we think it's really good and it stands up to anything that's produced anywhere else. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we're here talking about um, the the virtues of, of local, but uh, 
quality certainly has to be number one. Um, if we made really bad beer, uh, we would understand why no one would buy it anymore. But um, yeah, you know, we get up early in the morning and work late into the day most of the time uh, to make what we think is really great beer. Um, and uh, yeah, we work hard at it and uh, just to get a, a great product out in the shelves. And I mean, our response to our product has been great and still uh, grows all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll take more of those Coors Light dollars anytime. We are joined in studio by Chris Young. That was his voice. Chris Young is from Half Pints and Sean Branson from Fort Gibraltar talking about the Winnipeg Beer Festival, not to be confused with the Flatlanders Beer Festival, which has already happened. It's the Winnipeg Beer Festival. It's only local beers. It's happening August 19th at Fort Gibraltar. And we will continue our chat about this after we look at your forecast, which is up next. Lots of people celebrating this break in the weather and we'll be celebrating beer at Fort Gibraltar August 19th for the first annual Winnipeg Beer Festival. All locally brewed brew, including some spirits. And you mentioned this, Sean. Mm-hmm. Capital K Craft Spirits will be uh, joining the festivities. I'm on their website right now. By the way, Sean Branson from Fort Gibraltar and Chris Young from Half Pints in the studio with Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Tall grass. I can't even say this out loud. Tall grass dill pickle vodka now available and tall grass espresso vodka. These Mm. flavored vodkas are taking off, but I'd never seen uh, the pickle vodka spin on it. Yeah, we've had the espresso vodka at Promenade Cafe and Wine for for a while, and it's delicious, really balanced with great DeLuca espresso. The dill pickle one, he mentioned to me a couple of months ago that he was working on that, and uh, I thought that was exciting. Uh, it goes back to the, my days when we had our first child and my wife wanted pickles and how many different ways to have pickles. Fair enough. So I don't know if that would work so well in that Peanut scenario. Peanut butter toast on the side, yeah. maybe? But he, but he was talking about put, adding it into um, different cocktails and using that. When you, when you add olive brine or pickle brine to things, it makes it complex. Uh, I think this is going to be put in many Caesars, uh, is what I could project. Uh, we got a text here, and I, 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 we only have a couple of minutes, and I want to promote the event more, but this is a great question, and you guys are both uh, have some expertise here. Could you ask your experts, what preserves beer the best? Glass bottles that could be subject to UV light or aluminum cans, and then in parentheses, I prefer out of a bottle. Mm. Um, yeah, this is debated a lot uh, in the, the, the beer world, but... Um, Anything that's kept out of light is gonna is gonna preserve beer better as long as the package is sealed properly. Um, so uh, a beer in a bottle in a box uh, is is gonna be the same as a can. But if that bottle is sitting on a shelf not in a box and is subject to light, then the can itself will preserve the beer better. So it's, it's light and oxygen are the two things that are gonna shorten your shelf life of your of your beer. So as long as it's packaged properly uh, in a can. It should last a, a nice long time. Uh, in a bottle, kept out of the light, uh, we'll do the same. I sense an uh, Justin Timberlake, Andy Samberg uh, parody video <laughs> out of all the words that Chris Young just said about beer in a box. Uh, I digress. Uh, Paul, uh, we also got this, or uh, Chris rather, from Paul. He says, tell uh, Chris to make beer that tastes like Coors and I'll buy it. Don't like too much hops. What's the what's the beer that you have that's closest to the mainstream stuff that you get on tap somewhere? 
Right. Uh, so for a year-round beer, I would definitely mention to him uh, to try our St. James Pale Ale. Um, it is an ale, so sometimes people shy away from that term, thinking it's going to be pretty heavy, uh, strong, and hoppy. But it's quite low in the IBU rating, which is as a hoppy indicator, um, and it's 4.8 percent. So it's not uh, overly strong in alcohol either. Um, goes down really smooth. A slight bit of complexity compared to a Coors Light, but that would certainly be the way to start at half pints. All right. Uh, just very quickly, we only got a couple of seconds left here. So uh, the website is winnipegbeerfestival.com. Yes. You also have uh, Winnipeg, or there's a Facebook page. There's a couple of Facebook pages, actually. One is for the event and one is for just sort of the beer festival in general, from what I'm seeing. And you can find information on eventbrite.ca. All kinds of places to find information online, or you can just email either of us, brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com, and we will tell you how to get more information on the first annual Winnipeg Beer Festival happening Saturday, August 19th. Enjoy locally brewed beer and delicious food inside Fort Gibraltar's walls. And uh, I think I am going to... Spectacular I'm making venue. plans. I'm already texting some friends. Let's Can we go to this, please? Beautiful. Great venue. Uh, great concept. Thanks, gents. Sean, Chris, come back and see us again sometime, together or separately. You're always welcome. Yeah, anytime. Chris Young Thanks from Half Pints and Sean Branson from Fort Gibraltar. The news is next. Lots of things that we had planned to talk about today. We've only gotten through a small chunk of our list of discussion points today, Brett McGarry, but we like when that happens. Yes. The discussion got kicked off. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, how did Jeff put it? Uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau ruining your life? Get <laughs> get on board or get in line. Get in line. <laughs> As a story about the situation and the comments that he made uh, in his conversation with Rolling Stone magazine, he's taking back some of the discussion points and, and at least one thing that he said about uh, then Senator Patrick Brazo and their charity boxing match. He, he, he described him, and I'm trying to find my notes again. I think I uh, put them aside, Brett, to be quite frank with you. Do you happen to have them still? The Patrick Brazo comment? Yeah. Well, the comment that Justin Trudeau made about Patrick Brazo was as follows. This is to Rolling Stone magazine. In relation to a 2012 charity boxing match that Trudeau had with Brazo, I wanted someone who would be a good foil, and we stumbled upon the scrappy, tough guy senator from an indigenous community. He fit the bill, and it was a very nice counterpoint. I saw it as the right kind of narrative, the right story to tell. So that's the comment. And now Trudeau has apologized for that. And Brett and I were curious as to, we were maybe missing the point. We wanted to get your feedback. Were we missing the point uh, of Trudeau's apology? Because it, it didn't seem to us as though he'd said anything uh, that was incorrect in any way. Trudeau's been coming under fire. So we thank you for your comments on that. And one Text message came in just as we finished that discussion, Brett. Trudeau made the challenge a racist situation because his side bet was to cut Mr. Brezzo's hair braid as a sign of defeat, an Aboriginal tradition. Yes, his remark was racist. Well, I've done some homework on what happened in the follow-up to that, and Pierre Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, I do that all the time, Justin Trudeau trimmed only a little of Brazil's ponytail as he sat in a barber's chair in the foyer at uh, Parliament Hill. 
Brazil insisted he wanted more cut off because he wanted to fully honor the bet and his mother. Brazil said he grew his hair long after his mother died in 2004, and in 2010 he cut about a foot off his locks. His father has been and had been urging him to cut it even shorter, and Brazil said he will be happy with the trim he got on Monday. So I understand where you might have taken it. In terms of that cultural and the reference to his hair, uh, but it would seem as though Justin Trudeau was beyond respectful of that part of the bet. Well, that's good. Uh, so, I mean, hey, this was uh, this for me. This fell into. I, I wonder if if we're getting a little too sensitive about everything, but at the same time, I don't want to be dismissive. If right. somebody is genuinely upset about something, who am I to say you have no right to be upset about that? I would like to have a conversation with uh, there's a uh, an associate professor who was quoted in this article Pam Palmer who is an associate professor and chair in indigenous governance at Ryerson University in Toronto and she says I was actually shocked to read this coming from someone who's been speaking about reconciliation and repairing relationships to read this super arrogant super racist comment was really disgusting <laughs> and I didn't see that at all. Not even for a second did I think, ooh. Because usually there are times where like, I'm not offended by a comment, but I, I can read it and say, that's going to get somebody into trouble. doesn't bother me, but I get it. And I looked at this, and I, I was genuinely scratching my head. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I think the mere fact that our conversation trailed off and moved into the direction of debating the definition of scrappy and to whether or not it was even acceptable to call Brazil scrappy and whether or not that was an insult or not, even though Brazil took that word as a compliment, tells us that we are highly sensitive. Every single word can be dissected, forensically audited, and the idea that uh, certain words are going to inevitably insult certain people just about every single time you speak, well, we see it on our text messages every day. Yeah. Right? We are saying absolutely one thing, and it's construed and taken as completely another thing. So we experience it every hour of every day here. It doesn't matter what you say. There are going to be interpretations of what you're presenting. And quite frankly, a lot of people hear what they want to hear. Yeah, for sure. That happens all the time. People hear what they want to hear. And often what will happen, and hey, that's a perfectly... uh, normal, I think, human nature kind of reaction where you think you're hearing something, but it's painted by your perception, which is painted and tainted by whatever your experiences or whatever you think about something. And often we will say, hang on, that's not what we said. And they'll say, and then the person on the other line will realize, oh, you know what? You're right. Sorry. And sometimes it just takes some a moment to say, no, that's not what we said. Uh, this is what we did. Thank you for listening, at least. I, I, I at least appreciate it when people can objectively say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. And that's what we try to do as well. If we think we are wrong, I have no problem saying I'm wrong. I might not agree with, I might not be happy about it. <laughs> but I usually try to say I'm wrong. I'm going to play a clip of a song. Tell oh. me if you know this. Tell me when you know it. I knew the bride when she used to rock and roll. Well, thanks, Nick. You kind of give it away right off the bat here when you sing the... The lyric right off the top. 
I wouldn't have known it anyway, so. Oh, it's Nick Lowe. I knew the bride when she used to rock and roll. That's well, a, that's a staple. The... Staple of uh, a lot of wedding socials, and I think they play it every once in a while at the wedding reception. Okay. When we come back, we're going to give away some stuff in this hour, but we'll tell you about something that happened in Tennessee in Murfreesboro? M-U-R-F-R-E-E-S-B-O-R-O. Murfreesboro? Sure. Yeah, Tennessee. We'll tell you about the strange direction uh, a, a wedding went. Interaction between the bride and groom on the wedding night. Not exactly what you would expect. We'll tell you all about that when we come back. It's Mackling and McGarry. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, we got stuff to give away. Father, tell me something. Where the go when they die? Nickelback. Coming to Winnipeg. What is this? It has to do with the question, which I will get to in a moment. Thursday, September 21st at Bell MTS Place. Today's question, what is the name of Nickelback's debut full-length album from which this song can be found? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We need you to call. 204-780-6868. What is the name of Nickelback's debut full-length album? Any Nickelback fan should know that off the top of their head, and they will be going to hopefully enjoy the show at Bell MTS Place on the 21st. You were at a wedding on Saturday night. Yes. Our good friend Michael Grosvenor and now Ali Young, now Grosvenor. Yeah. And they had a, a fantastic wedding. I, I unfortunately was not there, but by all accounts, it was an incredible night. They even had a mini fireworks show from Archangel Fireworks. They did not. Yeah, they had a fireworks show. went on for like 10 minutes. Some Fantastic. of the members of the wedding party went out and got a whole bunch of fireworks from Archangel. So that was a nice little touch at Rossmere. Well, there were fireworks of a different sort at a wedding in, and I'm going to try this again, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I could see if it was Murfreesboro, but there's an R in there. So it's really Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here's the story uh, from uh, TV station CBS uh, in, uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. Just married, time to celebrate, but police tell News Channel 5's Nick Paris exclusively this is one honeymoon that ended before it really ever got started with the bride behind bars. Imagine the excitement of it all. You're just married. You and your new husband are ready to celebrate honeymoon night, and you're booked into the Rutherford County Jail. That was the fate of 25-year-old newlywed Kate Elizabeth Pritchard. Responding officers let the husband know that the honeymoon would be over and that his new wife was going to jail. Sergeant Kyle Evans with the Murfreesboro Police Department says officers made the arrest after responding to a very unusual call at the Clarion Inn. They arrived to find Pritchard and her new husband arguing this just a few hours after they were married. Both were very uncooperative with authorities. Uh, it was a witness that actually pointed us in the right direction. That witness told police the couple had been drinking and arguing outside the motel. Things escalated and what Pritchard allegedly did next shocked everyone. She pulled out of her wedding dress a 9mm pistol, pointed it at her new husband's head and pulled the trigger. 
The gun did not discharge. There was no bullet, but the witness told police Pritchard then loaded around in the chamber and fired a shot in the air, causing everyone to run from the scene. Police arrived, first questioning the newlyweds, who said nothing was wrong. But after talking to witnesses, police did recover a shell casing and found what they believed to be Pritchard's weapon. After the incident occurred, she went to the bathroom and disposed of the weapon, hiding it in the bathroom. Pritchard is charged with aggravated domestic assault. We do know tonight that the bride did post a $15,000 bond. She's no longer in the jail. We were unable to reach her or her new husband. It's unclear whether or not their marriage will survive this ordeal. In Rutherford County, Nick Barris, News Channel 5. Thanks, Nick. Murfreesboro police say the case will now be sent to a grand jury. Additional charges against the bride could be pending. Murfreesboro. Yeah, of course you said it without any difficulty. You news announcer veteran you text message at 204-780-6868 murfreesboro illinois drove through there to get to murfreesboro tennessee just outside <laughs> nashville thank you for that anonymous listener at 204-780-6868 congratulations nice. to steve hennessy who is going to see nickelback Thursday, September 21st at Bell MTS Place. The question, what is the name of Nickelback's debut full-length album? I was just looking for that kind of snap reaction. Somebody who goes, oh, I know it because I like Nickelback. Because it's not, I I sort of, I, I don't, my knowledge of Nickelback begins with The State, their second album. That song, I have, I had never heard that song. It's called Fly. It's their first ever single. I never want to hear it again. I never want to hear that song on this <laughs> radio station ever again, Brett. Oh, I got it. Oh, I'll play this part. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. The answer Burn is the curb. It's curb. Congratulations, Steve Hennessy. You're forecasting sports. Stand by for sports. My ear. I hate to come across as giving parenting advice. And if it comes across that way from time to time, I apologize. I'm learning along with. All parents who still have kids at home, whether they're a day old, a year old, or 40 years old, uh, there are lots of lessons still to be learned in terms of parenting. I don't think there's any official handbook. If there is one, please send it to me. I'd, I'd pay a lot of money for that. It has to have a proven track record, though. But one thing that I think a lot of people can agree on right now is that, that kids seem to be in charge of the household more than they have ever been before. I'm Greg, he's Brett, we're here till four. And we wanted to talk about this today, but other things got in the way. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. This comes from, and actually, uh, it's an article, an op-ed piece from a John Rosemond, who is um, a psychologist, family psychologist. And here's the headline from the Naples Daily News on New Year's Day 2017. Your kids should not be the most important in the family. And here's the first sentence or two. I recently asked a married couple who have three kids, none of whom are yet teens. Who are the most important people in your family? Like all good moms and dads of this brave new millennium, they answered, our kids! Yep. Lots of people subscribe to that. Should we? be subscribing to that philosophy, that sort of action? And are we making a bed in which we would rather not lie? Yeah, I don't know. Or is clearly, it lay? 
lay lie. Anyway, that we would rather not sleep in. Sorry. No, Brad. no, I, that's a, that's an interesting question. Lay I don't know. We'd rather not lay. I uh, I have no say on this really. I do know that uh, there are times where you 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 come across people who doesn't matter what you're talking about, they can turn that into a story about their kids. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm looking at you right now because we're speaking to each other, but I'm not looking at you, Greg Mackling. Uh, but I, I, when that happens, I wonder, is, I mean, it's great that you love your kids, but if you, if that's the only thing you know to talk about, that tells me that you have nothing else in your life. That the, the, your kids are the center, your, they are your universe, and I think that that's dangerous. That's dangerous for the kids, because it puts them up on a pedestal, and it's dangerous for you, because sooner or later, the kids are going to leave, right? They're going to grow up, and they're going to mm-hmm. move out, mm-hmm. and then what do you do when you realize, oh, I don't know how to function when I'm not being a parent. So what, what do you do? Sometimes the reward for raising intelligent, independent, thoughtful children is their desire to see the rest of the world. Yeah. And take off and go either to the United States, Europe, or elsewhere, either for vacation or to continue their education, live, raise a family, work. So nothing is guaranteed. And I think you're on to something in terms of whether or not uh, some parents bring this whole idea on themselves and not having other things in their lives. But you know, and you touched on it there, you know that that's translating to the kids. They get the impression that it's all about them. Tomorrow we will talk about whether or not that's a good idea. If you want to set things up like that, does there need to be a hierarchy? And where do you, as parents, fit in to that hierarchy? And should parents be at the top or should the kids be at the top yeah i don't know i don't know i don't think i think this is a situation where there's really no right or wrong answer but maybe we'll read you this entire article tomorrow and get let you weigh in on it i remember i may made reference to it earlier for those who may have have caught our little segment with jeff courier that we do before we come in here where i said you know there's there's always a moment I like to think in every kid's life where at some point mom or dad or both mom and dad says, hey, the world does not revolve around you. And I said it to be funny, but I remember being told that when I was a little kid and it was one of those kind of eye-opening moments where you realize, oh, so the, the oh, I, I okay, I get it now. <laughs> Up until now, I'd had the impression that it was all about me. Yeah. And I think that that's just, you know, when you're a little kid, that seems that seems like normal behavior. That's acceptable. Yeah. In fact, that may be expected. But should you be continuing to deliver that message as you parent and as kids get older? What sort of detriment can that serve to your kids? So we'll have that discussion, just like the one we had today, not as experts, but as those that are organizing and facilitating the conversation. It'll be your comments. It'll be your input that will drive the discussion when we talk about that tomorrow afternoon. And I certainly, yeah, as Greg has kids at least, so he can weigh in as a parent. I I, can, I can't even take care of myself. You were a kid. So and I could never take care of a child. That would just, that would be the end of that child. 
<laughs> you know, I used to think of it that way as well. You want me to contemplate what exactly? Yeah, I can't feed myself on a regular basis. Uh, another Greg says at 204-780-6868, and Greg's got a North Dakota prefix on his phone number. Several awesome texts from Greg today. If you ask my kids or my wife who's the most important to me and the family, they would say, the dog. <laughs> And you know what, Greg? Greg J, I think is that we have you listed on the contact card. That is probably true for a lot of people. The dog is the main part of the family. So so the dog is often the first member of the family who comes to greet you. And trust me, we typically treat our dogs as though they are the center of our universe. I've often commented, if there are alien beings observing us from afar... They must be convinced that cats and or dogs are in charge of this entire planet based on how we treat them. I mean, yeah, dogs kind of have it made, right? They, we, 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 Yes, they're on the leash, but we take them for a walk where they want to go, and then we pick up their poop. Mm-hmm. We do, and we <laughs> bathe them, and we feed them, and we water them, and we talk to them like this. And- in which they probably wonder what the hell we're doing. Why are you talking to me like that? Just give me the straight goods, man. Feed me. Feed me now. Walk me. Walk me now. Oh, by the way, I got to go to the bathroom. Open the door now, master. Traffic, (laughs) weather, next. Brett and Greg with you for another uh, four or five minutes here before Julie Buckingham and Hal Anderson get you home safe and informed on the news right here on 680 CJOB. We don't usually do birth announcements on 680 CJOB. Oh. But there's a special one today. Oh. Do you remember when we had uh, Emily Bufflin in the studio yes. last year? And yeah. She told us before it was public knowledge that she was with child. So uh, the Bufflins. Emily Bufflin is Dustin Bufflin's wife. So Dustin and Emily, congratulations. Theo Johnson Bufuglian was born this morning. <laughs> August 1st, 12.26 a.m., 6 pounds, 15 ounces, 19 inches tall. That's nice. awesome. Congratulations to the So I think that's what, a girl and a boy with that. For I believe now. you're absolutely correct. Nice. Yeah. So uh, there's uh, Little Buff, Littler Buff, Emily, and Big Buff. In the Bafuglian uh, residence now. So thanks for uh, sharing that uh, happy news with us, Emily. Congratulations to all of you. Hal Anderson, See, hello. Look at, they How have to you? drink before we even come into the I, studio. I walked in. It smells like a social in here. <laughs> yeah, well, we were playing uh, the bride. Uh, I knew the bride when she used to rock well, and roll. And Someone were... texted in. I've never heard that song. Come I've been, on. I've been to lots of weddings and socials. Seriously. Uh, okay. That's the first one, man. Yeah, I, or I, the last one. Yeah, right. Adam, sorry, I'm picking on you here. I noticed that they also not only uh, drinking but also you know keeping that tr- Justin Trudeau conversation alive with the name of it too the l- well i made the crack earlier during our conversation that it's rather fitting that we're talking about how trudeau used the word scrappy because Half Pints is coming in today, and they have this little scrapper IPA. <laughs> like, did you do that on purpose? No, yeah. these things just happen to us. We're very <laughs> Meant fortunate. To be. We have the radio gods on our side. Uh, what do you guys got uh, happening today? Tee it up for I us. I have absolutely no idea. I'm just following Julie around. <laughs> That's a really good plan, actually. Yeah, I figure she's not going to steer me wrong. Well, hopefully not. And uh, we have Vashi Capellos joining us. She is the Ottawa Bureau Chief. She will tell us about uh, maybe a little bit about that comment, but more more specifically about the Canadian reaction to the White House um, 
what is the word? We can't use chaos because chaos only happens in homes with three preschoolers, according to the White House. So um, the disarray, the instability, perhaps she'll have a little bit on that. She'll I don't join know what us you're talking in, about in, in Washington D.C. Yes, in the White House? yeah, Vashi seems to know about it, so she's going to join us uh, during the <laughs> five o'clock news. Totally normal there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Trump, and it is. <laughs> speaking, yes. Um, Keith McCullough will pop by and let us know they're going to study the perimeter. The province is, so oh, a little bit study, on Study, another that. study. Yes. Yay. Yeah, we love studying. And uh, we're also, of course, uh, going to talk about this uh, hydro increase. It's not as bad as it might have been, but it's still going up. And what can we do about it? Maybe not that much when it comes to the rate increasing, but there are some things we can do. Uh, to try and lower our uh, power costs. And so we'll talk a bit about that on the show. And you, you told me that today is something. Uh, today is, today is, uh, is several is things. Today is Tuesday, yeah. Yes. Today is uh, World Wide Web Day. Today is uh, Mountain Climbing Day. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. Because yeah. I I counted from my from my trip. I climbed the Eiffel Tower. I climbed the Arc de Triomphe, and it keeps track of all of these stairs. Mm-hmm. So I was like, however many, a hundred and two hundred eighty six flights of stairs or something. So Your I was Fitbit. like, well, that's really cool. So what? Like, what's the most? The Eiffel Tower is the most I've ever climbed, for sure. Okay. So would you ever climb a mountain? Have you climbed a mountain? No. What's the most you've ever climbed? <laughs> no mountains here. Yeah. No. no. Me neither. I don't. I don't get it. But Any I desire did... to do it? Nope. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm good uh, taking a truck up or a gondola. Yeah, those are nice. Super mountain. You can look down at the people that are climbing. Yeah, they've got the little path there. It's like, oh, how nice for you. Speaking of climbing, though, you know what I saw yesterday? Leaving the station yesterday, I drove by Garbage Hill over here. Yeah. I saw a mother pushing a double carriage. So she had twins or two small kids up Garbage Hill. Yeah. That is crazy. That's eh? fantastic. Good for her. She's taking the kids up for a nice view, I guess. A couple of my good friends did the Camino across northern Spain, which is a hike, and you can stretch it out for two months, three weeks. I think they did about three weeks the first time they did it, and that's where they trained, Hmm. was uh, up and down Garbage Hill with their, or the dump, or West End Park, Westview Park, whatever you want to call it, with their backpacks on. So you may see people doing that because, well, let's face it, it's really the only place yeah. well, with text, elevation. Not a lot of hills around. Oh, when the snow dump is yeah. closed. Right? Text sure, us where, you, where you've climbed or, you know. Yeah. I bet you there's know. some people here that have done Kilimanjaro. I've know, I know some people have done that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, text us for mountain not, climbing. Not for day. me or, or Mackling or McGarry, but <laughs> I'm sure some people, and good for you, Julie, for climbing that stuff over in Europe there. I'm yeah, good for but you. See, I'm a Winnipegger and it's it's only seven euro if you will climb the Eiffel Tower instead oh, of... are you kidding me? I am not kidding. That was what made you climb the stairs was the fact that it was seven euros versus 21 euros. That and the fact that because it's there's exercise involved, there weren't as many people lined up to do it. Hmm. So if you want to climb, go up the Eiffel Tower, you climb the stairs. I would have done that. Yeah. Thank you. Not not just to save the money, but the experience. It was the it it really was about (laughs) the experience. But yeah, you wait 10 minutes to 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 climb it or you wait hours to take the elevator. Have you been to Europe, Hal? I've never been to Europe. On the list? Um, I guess. It, it, I prefer, you know, sunny, hot, nice beach, cold beer. But I would go. Yeah, I think it would be I think it would be interesting to go to some spots over there, yeah. yeah. Okay. A very flat beach. A very flat <laughs> beach, yes. Adam has texted to say, I climb to the top of a bar stool every other evening to have a beer. 
<laughs> Thank you, Adam. Thank well, you, Adam, Julie. Adam, if you need a climbing partner, let me know. <laughs> Thank you, Al Anderson. They have the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Don't forget about Charles Adler tonight, 9 until midnight. Greg Mackling. And Brett McGarry, Mackling and McGarry, Jeff Fortier, Master Control, thank you very much, sir. And thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.